here. We're hoping that you will be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some more time with the kids teaching the adults what the Bible says. As we go through some object lessons with the kids helping me. So if you're a young family, plan on being here. I guess yesterday was a pretty good success. There was a lot of work and there were a lot of hands to put to the work and the work was done in about an hour and a half. So for all of you that showed up to help Get Journey Back to School, be the success that we hope and pray that it will be. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and as a reminder, that Journey Back to School is next Sunday from 3 to 6 p.m. And our plan right now is Bud is working with our young men again to do a youth-led devotional starting at 2 o'clock on Sunday as a kickoff before 2.30 when we get into setup. Uh, that'll be, a, I think, a pretty encouraging time. We start it with some spiritual thoughts and the love of Jesus, I think, is what Bud had said the topic was going to be. What better topic to kick off a service to the community than the love of Christ? And so I encourage you all to be here. The elders encourage you to be here to be an active part of that. Um, so an interesting question has popped up often over the last several weeks. Apparently, in the past, in the world before COVID, there were devotionals on Wednesday night before we were dismissed to classes. The elders have decided that that will kick back in in the first Wednesday in August. So we'll have everybody meeting in here in the auditorium for a quick devotional before you're dismissed to your regular classes for all ages. So again, start getting your mind wrapped around that idea. We're only a couple of weeks out on that. We'll meet in here Wednesday nights. Life groups have been made. Letters are being written. Stamps are being licked. Actually, you don't even have to lick stamps anymore. You can just, they, they're stickers now. But they're going to be going out the first week of August. Uh, life group leaders may or may not be reaching out to you in that in-between time to let you know that you're in their group. Uh, the elders were encouraged by the number of family groups that signed up for that. And so we look forward to a really good time through all of this. And if you did not sign up for life group, that's okay. That was something that, yeah, it was left to your individual choices on that. But if you did not sign up for Life Group, understand that our Sunday evening services during the time that we're doing Life Groups is going to change from 6 p.m. to 4 p.m. here at the building. And there will be a group that meets here at the building every Sunday at 4 p.m. for that. One last thing before I get into something else. Young Adult Retreat is coming up. If you have questions on that, October, right? Talk to Austin Get the information on it if you haven't signed up for it. From my understanding of what Austin has said about what's going to be happening, um, it's going to be a good thing. I did ask him if there was an age cutoff because I didn't want it. I, my real question was, is this a midlife crisis retreat? I mean, can the old folks, which I guess I am now, my son reminded me of that last week. Talk to Austin. He'll tell you if you're old enough or too old. Right? Okay, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you if you're too old. It was already mentioned, but I'll close off the announcement section with this. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. You honor us with your presence. We are thankful that you're with us. And if you haven't filled out one of these cards, it's on the back of the pew in front of you. I'd encourage you to fill that out. I said it last week. I'm going to continue to say it. We promise not to call you to talk to you about your car's warranty expiring. But we are looking for a record of attendance from our visitors. And if you fill that out, give that to any of the men that you've seen up front serving this morning. Uh, we all know what to do with it. The guys that served this morning are going, just give them to me. 
It'll be fine. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 6 this morning, if you want to turn over there. I've been asking and encouraging you guys to read through Mark with me as, as we're going through this series of lessons, and I hope and pray that you have been. It's always an encouraging time to get into God's Word and actually start reading what happens. And if we're actually going to be a people of God, well, we probably should be listening to what he has to say to us on a regular basis and not just following along with the preacher on that 30-minute time frame when he's up there yapping his gums. So I'd encourage you, read ahead, read into Mark chapter 7 as we're getting in preparation for next week. But just as a reminder, we're using Mark as a trailblazer, we're calling it the Trailblazer series. And we used Hebrews chapter 2 at the beginning, and it seems like it's been years ago, but it was only a couple of months, where it says, in bringing many sons to glory, sons and daughters to glory, excuse me, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer or the trailblazer, the author of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Talking about how Jesus paves the way for us in the lives that we live now. This is not talking about paving the way for the life that we're going to live in heaven. This is what life is supposed to look like now. And we talked about operating with authority. We talked about being hope bringers. In chapter three, we talked about doing right according to God's standard, not man's standard. Chapter four, don't panic. And then last week, we looked at being engaged with community and treating people as people and not problems. This week, we're only going to actually spend a lot of our time in Mark based off of one verse. So you're probably thinking, sweet. Miss Evelyn has been working on Jeremy hard. Lesson's going to be over in like five minutes. One verse, and it's what, where Jesus is leading us, what he is teaching us through all of this. Because so far in our, our study from Mark, our discussion has been around how to live and operate among our fellow man. Today, I want us to kind of take a step back and deal with one of my favorite topics, alone time. Spending time alone and what that actually looks like and how we're supposed to fill that alone time. Not, and don't misunderstand me. We're not talking about alone time for the sake of just being alone. That's just selfish, right? But actually understanding you've reached a point in your work and operation in the world and you need to take a step back to get yourself realigned and spend some time not even really alone but with the Father, getting in, on track with his ways, his thoughts, his purpose in our life, how all of that really looks. And we see this in Jesus's life. Often we see Jesus stopping and going, how many times have we read in the scriptures? And he went off by himself. He will tell, he'll tell the disciples actually in Mark chapter six, let's step away and go to a quiet place together after they return with the report of everything that they had been doing. Uh, and there's a pattern that, is, that Jesus establishes in his life of just this personal prayer time, being alone with the Father. And it may puzzle us if we stop to actually think about it and ask the question, why did Jesus pray? You ever stop to ask that question? He is God's son, right? Paul tells us, that the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. He is God's son. Why did Jesus pray? What, what would be the necessity of that? Which, by the way, leads to probably a more uncomfortable question for us. How did Jesus end his prayers? Right? You guys are just awake this morning. That was funny. 
All right, maybe not. Sonny's looking at me going, no, it wasn't funny. But why did he need, why did he feel the necessity? And that, that's where I think it comes down to is Jesus felt the need to pray. He had to have that time. One commentator wrote, the reason that our Lord believed in prayer and believed that prayer needed to be constant was that prayer lied, lies at the root of personal godliness. And the, the implications of that statement are staggering. That if we want to be godly in our personal lives and we are not praying, we are going to never accomplish that goal. If we're not in constant communication with the Father, how can we hope to ever be in line with his thought process, with his will, with his purpose for us? How can we ever be pleasing to God? And remember, that's one of the major aspects of Jesus' ministry. He came so that he could be pleasing to the Father. And I think that desire drove the need, the necessity of constant, direct communication with the Father. Having that conversation. When you look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, it talks about how he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. We see it sprinkled throughout the Gospels. We get reminded of this actually twice now in Mark as we've been reading. In Mark chapter 1, it says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Mark chapter 6, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And I want us to notice that when we see Jesus praying, it's not only when there is a crisis or some big decision that, that he has to make, which, by the way, is very different than us if we're being honest, right? When does our prayer life kick into high gear? Crisis. Oh, I don't know what to do. Better ask the Father because, you know, you don't ask him when you've got to figure out what pair of pants you're going to put on in the morning. Or you don't have that conversation with him at that time because that's not a crisis, that's unimportant. Or at least that's how we look at it. Or a big decision, well, do I quit my job and go over in this direction? Well, I better just start looking for the Lord's guidance on that. It seems to be when we really start praying. The context of Mark chapter, Mark chapter six is there's no real crisis. There's no real decision that's being made. And the other context of those verses this is what Jesus did on the regular. It was part of his life. It's how he lived. And it would seem, at least to me, that because of this practice and because of this pattern that he is operating in in his life, that this is a constant conversation, an ongoing conversation with the Father. And it's kind of like, and I know that we've experienced this in our own lives, just in human relationships, where you're having a conversation with your wife or your husband, and you end up having to go separate ways, and then three days later, you come back, and you're like, oh, by the way, let's pick up where we left off in that conversation. Anybody, you guys do that with your spouses? Where you, where you have an ongoing conversation about life or any kind of thing that's going on? It, it, it's, it's really a neat part of relationship. It's how relationships work. And it's how you know you're both on the same page, by the way that if you're not having an ongoing conversation as a husband and wife, what usually ends up happening to that relationship? It fails. And so I see Jesus in my mind. Yeah, it says that he's slipping off for a quiet time to pray, but I don't think that that means that he didn't pray when he was walking along the road with his disciples when they finally shut up. 
and gave him a moment of peace to think. This was his life because of the importance that it brings to the relationship that he has with the father. And, and we could speculate, again, we could speculate all day on the what that Jesus was praying. I don't think that matters. What I think matters is that he was talking to God all the time. We could also speculate on why, and we could answer that question pretty easily, right, with a third grade Bible class answer. I bet our, who, do we got a third grader here this morning? Fallon, you're in third grade? Okay, let's, ask, let's see if Fallon can answer this question. Are you ready? Stand up so I can see you. <laughs> Fallon, stand up. Are you standing up? Oh, okay. Because her head didn't move. She just, she just stood up, right? Fallon, Jesus, why should we pray as we look at the example that Jesus set? Did she answer? Hold on. I can't hear her. I'm way up there on Mount Sinai. Fallon, why should we pray? As we look at Jesus' example, why should we pray? It's really simple. Guys, what's the easy answer on why we should pray following Jesus' example? Because Jesus did. <laughs> right? That's the easy answer on this one. We should pray because we see our master praying. But here's the deal. We need to go deeper than just we should do because Jesus did. Because here's what happens when we use that as our rationale for doing something. It just becomes rote. There's no real passion. There's no real motivation in it. We're just doing because he did without any understanding of why he did those things. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> or he, and missing the point of, that Jesus is trying to make in his example of the path he's leading us on. Because here's the point. There's value in prayer. Shocking, right? There's actual value in constant communication with the Father. Especially when we do it privately. You know, when you think about our, our public prayers, right? Uh, we have those that lead prayer for us on a public basis, especially in the worship or whenever we're together in groups, it always seems like we're having public prayer. And, and that's fantastic because that prayer unifies us as a body. It brings us under the umbrella of common purpose together where we're not actually out there you know, as individuals operating and working that the individual who is leading the corporate prayer or the public prayer, whether we recognize it or not, is actually addressing the Father on our behalf. He's not talking to us, but he is talking for us. And that brings us together. And that's why when, when a guy finishes the prayer, it's, it's I, Jeremy's opinion, I think it's vital since we're being unified on this that we say amen, that we agree with what that man has said to the Father on our behalf. Now, maybe we don't agree with what he's saying, and that's why we just keep our mouth shut. But that's the purpose of a corporate prayer. But when we start looking at the idea of private time, alone time in prayer, one of the pitfalls becomes that we think the private or the public prayer is the only time we need to pray. And that becomes the only time we do pray. Consistent private prayer 
lifts prayer out of the concepts of religious duty, lifts it out of the doldrums of duty, and it brings, into the unif- brings us into a unifying relationship with God the way he wants it to be. It becomes the foundation of our personal godliness. We're able to actually live and operate the way he's calling us to. It becomes a way of retraining our brains. And, and think of this in terms of how we view God and our relationship with him. Our, our scripture reading this morning was from Psalm 139, and we're going to go back there for a little bit and read some more of that psalm. Uh, how many of you guys remember the old song, There's an All-Seeing Eye Watching You? Peggy remembers it. It's, it's not something we've sung, I think, in, as a church in probably 30 or 40 years. Uh, and it goes, watching you, watching you, every day to his course to be true. Watching you, watching you, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And people got uncomfortable with that idea, right? How many of us are uncomfortable with the idea of an all-seeing eye watching us? Well, then throw your cell phones away. Okay. When we view it like God is watching us, you know, like through that magnifying glasses, we're little ants walking around on the, on the earth and he's watching us and just waiting to hope, hopefully catch us, you know, the right sun ray to zing us and zap us into oblivion, right? And, and people didn't like that. They, don't like the, they didn't like the idea of God watching every step that they take. You want to know why they got uncomfortable with that? Because they realized how many steps they took that weren't in line with what God wanted them to do. And so they got uncomfortable with that idea instead of finding comfort in that idea. Think back to when you had small children, for those of you that have had small children, right? How much did, especially the first child, let's just do with that, the first child, because I'm thinking about the Heralds, they got like 20 kids. You know, by the time their youngest was born, they were like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. But that first baby, right? That first baby, think about how much you actually paid attention to them. And you watched every step. You watched everything they tried to put in their mouth. Right? You did that because you were just waiting to lay the hammer down on them. Is that what you were there for? Or was it to guide, instruct, and help them be better people? Because you have an understanding that grown adults don't walk around eating dirt on a regular basis. And you don't want your kid to be that kid. Right? And that's what Psalm 139 presents to us. It's not an idea that God is waiting to cast that huge thunderbolt from down on high, but to help us and guide us. Psalm 139 should be one of the most comforting psalms we read. Look at the beginning of it. Right? He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. If we don't find comfort in the fact that God knows us intimately, then I would submit to you that your prayer life is not what it should be. Because it's one of the things that he's trying to teach us and trying to help us understand. This is not meant to make us uncomfortable. That because he knows all, 
that should comfort us. And maybe that's why we feel hypocritical at times when we go to him in prayer, right? Because he knows everything. And we, we understand that. And, and in our normal daily life, we have tried to hide it and, and keep it from him. But when we, when we go to him in conversation, well, and even when we're not in, with him in conversation, he still knows what's going on. But it's at this point that we're actually admitting what's going on and we lay ourselves open for inspection. Why do we lay ourselves open for inspection? So that he can guide us on right paths. This is a retraining of the brain. <clears throat> and we approach prayers that found as we're approaching prayers that foundation of personal godliness, it comforts us. That's why when you read in 23 and 24 that we had for our scripture reading, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. This is written as something that is welcoming. This isn't kind of like when you ask your kid a question if they did something or not, they go, search me. Okay, I will, come here. This is a willful opening to God, saying, search me. Lord, search me and know my heart. And not only search me and know my heart, I want you to put me to the test. How often do we ask God for that? Test me. See if there's anything that is offensive in me. Offensive to who? Your neighbor? No. Offensive to the relationship with him. And the reason we open ourselves up and we bear our souls, for lack of a better phrase, is we want anything that would stand in the way of our relationship with God completely removed. And we need to be tested on that. We need to be able to see it with our own eyes so that in turn, as we are building this relationship and continuing in that relationship, God leads us in the everlasting way. Prayer essentially says to God, turn me into what you want me to be. There's nothing threatening there. We don't feel threatened as we submit to the Father's will in this. How many of us want to be what God wants us to be? Then get on your knees. Pray. Ask him to test you to see if there's anything that gets in the way of the relationship with him. Let him change you. Remove selfish desire from the equation. Follow the example of the master. Pray. And do it alone. That's not to say that you don't pray at other times. Don't misunderstand me. Develop the discipline of alone time with God. Pray. Talk to him. It's where our personal godliness will bear much fruit. That's our foundation for life. That's why I think it was so important that Jesus spent so much time in prayer with the Father alone. It's why he would go away from the mission for a minute to get himself back in line. Pray.
And that's your challenge. That's not, and that's not the challenge Jeremy's presenting, okay? That's the challenge the master presents. If you're, if you're gonna follow him, then you're gonna do what he does. And not just because he does it, but because you understand the value that comes from a retraining and repurposing of your life that prayer brings as we operate by faith. Be a prayerful people. And it may sound silly to you, but I would submit to you that if you're really struggling with the concepts of prayer, start simple. You get up in the morning, say, thank you. Even if you get out of bed and it hurts. Right, Brian? <laughs> we were talking about that this morning. Say, thank you. You're going to figure out what you're going to put on for work. I know some of us have to wear a uniform. Say, thank you. Start with just simple thankfulness. And pretty soon you're going to find that it'll change your outlook on other things as you live. We're going to stand and sing a song. Brian's got it all set up for us, and he's going to be ready to go here in a minute. But let's use this as a time, another opportunity that God provides to us to search and look inwardly and find out what needs to be changed in our lives and what help do we actually need. Acknowledging that we can't do it on our own, that God sent his son to help us. And of course, the biggest help that Jesus ever provided to anyone on the face of the planet was to die for humanity's sins. To become the perfect sacrifice for us. Because knowing that there's no good that we could do that would outweigh the penalty of sin that has fallen on us. And he willingly takes that out of the way in his sacrifice on the cross. Opening the door for salvation as we make the confession of him as Christ and Lord, Master. And we're baptized. Hey, and I don't know what goes on when you're under the water. I really don't. But I do know that it's God working to remove sin from your life. And I'll take that on faith. I have to. But as we come out of the water of baptism, he raises us to new life as a new creation and calls us to live the way his son led us to live. And if you haven't done that this morning, I don't know why you're waiting. Make that acknowledgement by faith. But family, if we ain't praying as individuals and as a body, I don't know how well we're going to accomplish God's mission for us here in Lake Charles. Pray. And if you find yourself struggling with your prayer life, seek help. God put all these people in this room to help us out. You know how what the biggest help that we're going to be able to provide for you? Prayer praying for you, helping you, encouraging you. Getting counsel from the elders is another aspect. And you can do that as we're standing and singing by coming forward. You can do it because there'll be an elder in the back room over here if you need to talk to him and get counsel and prayers from him that way too. Whatever it is that we can do for you this morning, be encouraged to know that the opportunity is available for you as we stand and sing. Brian.